0: Welcome back to Then Again, the podcast of the Northeast Georgia History Center. I am Marie Bartlett, the director of the Ada May Ivester Education Center here. Today I have with me Leslie Jones, our manager of archives and collections, and also now our curator. And today we are going to be talking about the Biltmore Estate. Woohoo! America's castle, essentially. Our
1: castle, for sure. Yeah.
0: Especially it's down here in the South. I feel like we can claim it.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So I have been to the Biltmore just like a couple times and it is just always a magical experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were just, I was just talking to Guada about it and we were looking it up online and she was like, oh my gosh, this looks like a fairy tale. (laughs) And it is, it is beautiful. The Biltmore is definitely, I think probably one of the most magnificent homes in America. It definitely has this wow factor. Absolutely. And I really don't think like a lot of other historical homes have here in America. So I want to just start. How many times
1: have you been to the Biltmore? Oh, gosh. I always made it a tradition to at least go once a year, but I did get a season pass in 2020, which did not work out since COVID, but I did get to go a few times in 2020, but at least once a year for, I'd say, maybe 10 years. Wow, nice. Yeah. Well, everything changes. You know, it's there's temporary exhibits all the time. The last time I went more recently
0: was that they had the Downton Abbey costume. Yes, oh my costumes. gosh, that was
1: such a good exhibit too.
0: It was so good. It was basically for anyone who doesn't know and hasn't you know, been following this exhibit around the country, it was basically a pop-up museum essentially about Downton Abbey and it had a lot of things from the show and also my favorite like so many of the costumes from the show and that was at the Biltmore, which it felt like it fit so thematically with Downton Abbey because it's like America's Mm -hmm. grand European house
1: and I loved that they had recreated some of the rooms that was that was really cool especially like the 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 downstairs where all the the servants were Mm -hmm. with the bells and everything oh it was amazing such a good exhibit so today we are going to be talking about the
0: Biltmore itself how it was built why it was built There's so much to explore with the Biltmore, from the people to the place, to the people who worked there, the people who lived there, Mm -hmm. the building itself, the gardens. But today, because we only have like an hour, we are going to be talking about the building itself. And, And of course, the people who were key in building the building. Right. So what can you tell me about the original owner of the Biltmore Estate and their vision for setting out to build this magnificent house?
1: Yeah. So uh, it was built by George Washington Vanderbilt. He was the grandson of Cornelius Vanderbilt. Um, His father, William Vanderbilt, actually gave a good bit of money to each of his children, unlike Cornelius, who only gave money to the the oldest son. Um, And so each of them got some. So George Vanderbilt got quite a hefty, I think it was around $100 million. And that was just the, the youngest child. I can't imagine who got the most, but he went to Asheville because he had heard that the springs there had medicinal properties and his mom had aching joints. So he took his mom there and he just absolutely loved it. And he decided he wanted to buy some land there. So originally it was just supposed to be a summer home because they lived mostly in New York at the time, but then they built it. And I I think he lived there basically the whole time until he passed away.
0: I mean... If you've ever seen Biltmore, you would be like, yes, I will just spend all of my time here. Yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine, I mean, maybe there are more extravagant homes in New York, but the scenery of Asheville is also beautiful.
1: Yeah, they they had um, an entire block of Fifth Avenue that was all Vanderbilt homes, um, and unfortunately they've been torn down, so we only have photos. Yeah, I know it's sad. But we still have the Biltmore and we have the Newport homes. The Newport homes were, one of them was built by his brother, the oldest one, the one that got the most money, <laughs> and his daughter's Consuelo Vanderbilt that you and I have both read about and we absolutely love. She's got a great book. I highly recommend it.
0: It is very interesting. It's very
1: good. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of Vanderbilt homes. Uh, just, just the ones in New York are gone.
0: So how did they go about the construction process for Biltmore? And how did that unfold? What challenges did they face? Because Essentially, they are bringing so much stuff into this fairly mountainous region where
1: there's not a whole lot. Right. Yeah, that's that's the basic thing. The elevation, the getting things through the woods, because they didn't have a clear path yet. Then they were building the gardens. They had to create all the gardens there and make sure that they could be maintained. So it was a struggle from the get-go just to get supplies there. But then to keep workers for as long as it took, I think it took three to five years to complete, maybe even longer than that, honestly. And so I imagine being a worker on that, they would eventually want to go home, but they have so much work to do. So that was also something they, they had to keep hiring people to keep working on it. Also, another thing that I thought was really interesting is Frederick Law Olmsted, who created Central Park, He was in charge of constructing the outside, all the gardens and the greenhouse and all that. And he never once actually stepped foot on Biltmore except the very first meeting. And then after that, it was his apprentices. So I think that's an interesting challenge, too. How do you know that you're doing a good job if you're not there and, you know, they didn't have a phone so they couldn't go, hey— Am I doing the right thing? So that also was a challenge was the outside. It's
0: not like you can just send a picture like via email and be
1: like, hey, this is what it's looking like. Exactly. It's not like they could hire someone to draw what they're constructing and then mail it to them. That would take forever. It would be. I mean, that's
0: one way to do it, but that would just take
1: Mm -hmm. so long. But he had so many projects going on at the same time. He just had his apprentices go and do it.
0: I think that's also a, a really good question and kind of lead into my next question is, what time period are we building this in? I don't know if we set the stage for our listeners.
1: Yeah, so it was the 1890s, and it was actually opened on Christmas Eve. How fun. Yeah, I thought that was fun, too. So every year, Biltmore actually does Christmas celebrations. Have you been at Christmas before? I did. That was the first time I ever went when I was little with my family. Yeah, with the, the giant trees, and they even have a Biltmore After Dark at Christmas. Where they have all the candles and they recreate what all of the home the home would have looked like during that period at night it's beautiful oh that sounds gorgeous so what does
0: the architectural style of Biltmore how does that reflect the time that it was built
1: yeah so I know you're really big on architecture. I love architecture <laughs> so I know you know that it's a uh, medieval themed mm-hmm. but that actually was a very big trend at the time uh, we would call medievalism, which is basically they create what they think was during the Middle Ages. So a lot of the architecture there is is based on, you know, what they were told or what they assumed, you know, with like Robin Hood and King Arthur and all that. They would use that in the theme, but it wasn't necessarily what actually was going on. But a, a lot of it, even the tapestries in the living room or the dining room, excuse me, And the tapestries in the tapestry room itself have a lot of panels actually from the Middle Ages that he had bought and put in there.
0: Every time I go, I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like... These are real medieval tapestries they are just hanging in this home because he bought them and brought them over from
1: Europe. It's so crazy that you get to see them, and they're in such good condition. They do a great job at preserving those for sure. They do.
0: Also, doesn't he have, like, Napoleon's chess set in the library?
1: He does, yeah, and it was a gift. He didn't even buy it for himself. Yeah, the library is my all-time favorite room. Is it yours, too, or...? There's so many wonderful rooms. I don't (laughs) know if I could
0: choose one. But the library is, it looks like it's out of Beauty and the Beast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The fireplace is, you know, two people tall. They have doors that go to the guest room. So if they want a book, they just come down the specific hall and it leads them to the library. George Vanderbilt was a big, avid reader, and he actually knew six different languages. So a lot of the books are in different languages, too, which is absolutely fascinating. Wow. Yeah.
0: I... I just I, I read English,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> you and me both.
0: Yeah, that's about that's about it. <laughs> but yes, I thought like when you approach Biltmore, it's kind of what you imagine a medieval castle would look like. Mm-hmm. Because, but it's not a real medieval castle because I've been to real medieval castles and they are fortresses. They're <laughs> they are forts. They are not about comfort and lavishness at all. I looked at Biltmore's website just to kind of see, like, what do they classify the Biltmore as? Mm Because it's definitely, you know, medieval-inspired. But they said that it is based on French medieval and Renaissance castles, and they called it chateau-esque.
1: Oh. Yeah, I guess I could see that, especially when you're coming to the front of the house Mm -hmm. and all the big fountain, the bridge at the very top that leads to that large gazebo, I could definitely see that out there. Yeah. So
0: apparently it's very heavily French inspired and very much French Renaissance revival. Mm. Because if you think about like, even with the roof line, some of it is, you know, very, it's not, it doesn't quite look like a castle at the roof line. Mm -mm. It looks more like a chateau or a a palace, if you will.
1: Especially with that
0: staircase. Oh, I love that staircase. It is gorgeous. But also, I can see there's a lot of there is a lot of modernity brought into it as well because you know it has kind of like a little bits of those mansard roofs that were very popular in the Second Empire of France mm-hmm. uh, of France, and that was going on in the 1880s, 1890s. So it looks it's kind of like this mashup of like we're going to take all the old parts that we like from like the medieval and the Renaissance, and then we're going to kind of like put it into this giant cool house that we like but also we're going to have like all of modern amenities which I thought was really
1: interesting yeah Billmore was actually the first house in US history to have an elevator
0: really the first very thing, like, first ever
1: yeah and it still runs today I don't know if you've ever been in it but they let people go up and down in that elevator oh, that's so cool yeah
0: so this is like the first one in a house not like the first one ever but the first right one, like, yeah
1: in the a one house. in a house itself in a residence okay. it was the very first ever. Whoa. Right? I feel like that really
0: speaks to how insanely wealthy they were. And then also how they were interested in combining this idea of like French chateau palace with all the modern amenities.
1: Yeah, I never really thought about it before until you said it. You know, the, they would have, you know, the billiard room with a kind of like a um, an Asian influence. But then they would have modern billiard table with the the buttons that you can push for the butler and all that stuff. It's, a, it's so different than, and, and every room seems to be a different theme like that.
0: Yes, different themes, different colors, like different mm-hmm. color rooms. Don't they have like a Louis the something, like 14th, 15th bedroom?
1: Yes. Um, yeah.
0: Very French. I feel like they were like, yes. Very French. Very French influence.
1: It seems like he just went, I like this. I'm going to steal that idea. I yes. like this. I want to buy five for my house, even though we only need one. It just seems like he just went everywhere. And he could with how much money he had. So
0: There is another house called the Hay House, which is also kind of tries to claim the title of like the Southern Palace down in Macon, Georgia. And it is a beautiful home. It is it's nowhere as big or as, as grand as Biltmore, but like... If I had to choose like a second or third place for like very grand historic home, that one would be one of them. It was also a little bit older than Biltmore. It's built in the 1850s. And I was just impressed by that one and also by Biltmore that they have running water and that Biltmore, of course, had electricity. Mm -hmm. But also how French they were in style and European because these people who were so wealthy they could just go on what, you know, would be considered the grand tour of the the continent of Europe. And these people, they would buy art as they went and then just ship it back home to their house. And then they would also take all of these ideas that they saw from these historic homes, from these palaces, and be like, I want this piece of this. Mm -hmm. I would like stained glass here. I want a dome. And then just kind of put it into their homes. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not an uncommon thing for these very wealthy elite people to do, which I thought was
1: incredibly fascinating. Something that I also thought that was really interesting is George Vanderbilt and his wife were supposed to be on the Titanic. They were searching for items for the house, and they were coming back home. I think it was George Vanderbilt's mother who said, you should probably take a different route. She thought something was going to happen, and it's just absolutely fast. So they changed it the last minute to a different boat. Whoa. Yeah. It was during, I don't know if you saw the Titanic exhibit they had. Not there. They had, you know, re- had all the clothing and all that stuff, and they, they had mentioned it in the home, which is why I also love the temporary exhibits because they share stuff that we just didn't know.
0: That's That's really fascinating. Maybe we should do, I'm not sure if we've done a podcast about the Titanic before. We've done... A mini-doc, if you will. A live stream during the pandemic about the Titanic. But I'm not sure if we've done a podcast. Let's do it. I'm do in. A podcast. Yeah. <laughs> now, how did the initial intentions for the Biltmore evolve as it was being built? Were, were things added? Were things detracted as the, it
1: was being built? Um, there's a few things I know that they added after going to different homes, like you said, and taking ideas. One, they originally had the idea for a swimming pool, but they actually added heat to it which he had saw in Europe and he really liked. And so the bottom, if you go to Biltmore and you go to the pool, you can see at the very bottom there's this pipe. It's hot water that runs into that pi- out of that pipe. Something else is the lions in the very front. Uh, when you're walking into the main door, those lions were added afterwards. It was actually the idea of the architect uh, Richard Hunt to add those lions. And then, as you know, the Vanderbilt family, they created their own crest, and their basic logo kind of is the acorn. Um, So there are acorns everywhere. I think it's, honestly, I think it's kind of copying the breakers in Newport because there are acorns everywhere on the ceiling and the furniture everywhere, and that house was built first. Mm. So there was a couple things I know that they, they initially did not, think about before, but they added closer to the end.
0: So do we know why they chose an acorn to be their family emblem and
1: to have it like hidden around their house essentially? Yeah, so Elma Vanderbilt, the wife of William Cassim Vanderbilt, actually came up with their crest and the acorn was supposed to represent prosperity and strength, which I think is classic Vanderbilt. Very prosperous. <laughs> yeah. Very strong family.
0: So how has the Biltmore impacted the local economy and the community of Asheville, North Carolina over
1: the years? I know that they are the largest home that has tourism because it's open, and they're the main source of income for Asheville. I don't think—I love Asheville, but I don't think it would be as big as it is if it wasn't for Biltmore. I'm not sure if Ashevillians would agree— but I think I think it is a main source, considering they would most people go to see Biltmore and then afterwards go to town. So I think uh, it's their number one destination. And I think it's a lot of people's destinations here, because we don't have the houses like that. We could either go to Macon, which I didn't even know about. I'm going to have to go now. We could go down to that house that's three hours away, or we could go to Asheville that's two hours away. Mm-hmm. So... I think it's made a big impact on the South for sure. It is definitely a destination that people want to go to, especially during
0: Christmas time when they have it all decorated so mm-hmm. beautifully. Or even when they have those really cool special exhibits, um, you know people will go for that and then also to see the house mm-hmm. um, because you know people like us, we, we've gone a couple times but oh, there's something like slightly new, a different temporary exhibit like oh, I want to go see that, which is really cool. And also, didn't the the Vanderbilts, while building Biltmore, also basically created the town for their workers to stay in?
1: Yeah, so they have a farm that's still running. They actually have, I don't know if you've ever had the ice cream there. It's incredible. It's made from the milk from the cows on their farm. It's incredible. I highly recommend it. They also have horse stables, and they have a winery, and they have the, the village. There's actually still a couple houses on Biltmore's site um, that people live in. The groundskeeper, people like that are still actually there today. Are they descendants from like the original groundkeeper or is it like the groundkeeper who's like currently working there? That's a great question and I definitely want to find out now. <laughs> How cool would that be? It's like this job has been in my family for generations. Oh, I would love that.
0: Because I know the the Biltmore itself is still owned by the Vanderbilts, mm-hmm. correct? Yes, yeah. their descendants still running
1: this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's the, at this point, I think it's the great-great-grandchildren.
0: It's really cool to have that in their family for so long and for it to be a beloved, almost like focal point of that community mm-hmm. um, from the people who go there for tours, for people who work there. I even, when my mom and grandma went the last time, we went and we were just kind of walking around the little village that's kind of like right outside the front gates Mm -hmm. of Biltmore. And we went into this beautiful church and they were just practicing the organ and we're like, can we, can we come in? And we were surprised to learn that that church was actually built by Vanderbilt for his workers and for everybody in the town. And it's because it's a very grand church for this small mountain Mm town. And we were like, Oh my gosh that's so cool and it has some beautiful stained glass and it it's, has really interesting architecture as well and apparently it's where his daughter got married oh okay yeah so his daughter got married there at the church in town and then they went back to the biltmore the house for the reception mm-hmm. and it was just really cool because i was like oh my gosh like the biltmore's have literally touched everything in this town <laughs> it feels like from you know building certain buildings or public works essentially to support the infrastructure for the workers who supported their house.
1: Yeah, and up until recently, they still lived in Biltmore. It was, I think, the grand, great-grandson uh, was the first not to live in the home. But they have a portrait um, next to Frederick Olmsted's portrait and next to Richard Hunt's portrait is the family portrait of them today. So you can see how it evolves too, but the, there's a large portrait of the great-grandson um, and his family. They were the ones that decided they weren't going to live in Billboard anymore. I can't imagine having tens of thousands of people all around. How, how do you even go get food or, you know, have something made? Do they have their own kitchen, like a modern kitchen? It's just so crazy to think about.
0: Yes, that sounds almost like the White House where there's like the one floor that you can't go on to because like that's where they actually live and then Mm -hmm. there's like the public floor yeah but like good gracious like that's a lot of people around all the time like Mm -hmm. what if you just
1: want to go around in your pjs i imagine you also could never sleep in because there's so many people outside
0: they are (laughs) you're going to hear chatter
1: and you know they can't modernize the window no
0: (laughs) the glass is historic
1: yeah uh speaking of that the kind of the levels
0: Now, you have been on some of the, like, behind-the-scenes tours of the Biltmore. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about the different rooms of the house and how the house is formatted to have the large public rooms, but then also private bedrooms and areas for the staff?
1: So when you go on the grand staircase, you can go to the first two or three. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I don't remember. Two or three. And then the very top floor is um, blocked off to visitors. Um, And that's actually where the architectural tour starts. Um, You get to go up to the very top floor and they have a model of Biltmore of how they were going to build it up there. Um, And they also actually take you up to the roof so you can see the architecture and they tell you exactly what's changed and what's the same. And they describe the different figures in the stone because, you know, they have gargoyles, they have people, they have all kinds of different figures. That one's actually my all-time favorite tour. highly recommend it for anyone who wants to learn more about the physical house itself. And then there's another one. It's uh, visiting the servants' quarters. So um, on the bottom, we get to see the butler's pantry, some of the rooms, because we don't actually get to see those on the regular tour. We get to see the, the living area, the kind of dining room area. That one's really great too, but the architecture one is my favorite. The one thing I have not done, actually, is the audio tour. Just because oh. I know so much at this point. I'm yeah. not sure I would learn anything new, <laughs> except the church thing. That was really cool. But the church thing is, like, outside of Biltmore. Like,
0: you have to mm-hmm. go into the town, and they don't really publicize it unless you go in and you start, you know, chatting up the organist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I saw somewhere, it was something about, like, one of the Vanderbilt's wedding, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's her, and she's out, and that's the church, and she's right outside the church. So... Yeah. It's not like part of the house. It's like outside in the village, but it was just really interesting. And we went there because it had like snowed and like Biltmore was like closed until a certain time. So we were like just killing time in the village. <laughs> and then we 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 learned all that interesting stuff. It was really cool. It must have been so pretty. I've never been there when it snowed. Well, we saw the village and the church when it was all snowy. Cause mm-hmm. I like I think Biltmore was closed that day for some reason. It was either like a sunday or like they closed because of snow and you know trying to get down the mountain roads and snow
1: good point um, yeah
0: <laughs> so we ended up going to the biltmore and we it you know all the snow it had essentially melted off of it at that point but it was cold it was a chilly chilly february day
1: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah it was really cool it was really cool is there anything else you want our listeners to know about biltmore or you know things to think about as they go to the biltmore if they've they've gotten to
1: or if they get the experience to go I think something interesting to mention is that George Vanderbilt put basically all of his money into it. When he passed away, they were in debt. Really? Yeah, because of all the stuff they did for the home. Um, And that's why his daughter opened the home to the public was to, you know, for the upkeep of the place. I think that's something definitely to carry on. And also downstairs is kind of in the basement is really, really cool in the Halloween room. Um, They call it that because they actually one night had a party and they drew all over the walls and it's still there today. And I know it's called Halloween, but it's not actually spooky. They just did it at Halloween. So, but that's also one of my favorite rooms because you can see, you know, like their actual personal touch to it. So, Biltmore is the best. Out of all the historic homes are my all-time favorite historically, um, any museum. And that one is as i've told everybody on staff is like my favorite place of all time so
0: it is a really cool experience to go and walk through it and it's essentially like when we you know essentially what we were saying when we started talking about this is that it's probably the closest to like a french palace that you're going to get to in america Mm -hmm. so if you want to kind of have that experience of walking through a grand palace that Kind of looks like Europe, but you don't have the ability to go to Europe. Well, hey, there's like one, two hours away from the Northeast Georgia <laughs> History Center that you can go and walk through. And they have, like you were saying, it's a beautiful estate. They have hundreds upon hundreds of acres and
1: a, a winery and the, the the dairy. The dairy. They have walking trails. Mm-hmm. They have, you can actually um, go horseback riding. They have golf They have all kinds of outdoor activities too. I would love to go more than one day. I usually just go a day and see all the stuff I always love to see and then I go but one day I would love to stay for a a long period of time so I get to do some of the stuff outside. Um, It's always you know scheduled too so it's either you get to see the house or you get to see the outside because there's way too much to do. Absolutely. So
0: our listeners will have to let us know email us at info at negahc.org if you have any interesting stories about your visit to the Biltmore and also just about what you would be interested with other podcast topics as well thank you so much for
1: being with us today Leslie thank you for having me
0: Then Again is a production of the Northeast Georgia History Center in Gainesville Georgia our podcast is edited by media producer Guada Rodriguez Our digital and on-site programs are made possible by the Ada Mae Ivester Education Center. Please join us next week for another episode of Then Again.